Welcome to the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider, the podcast where we pull back the curtain and speak to the brains behind sales and marketing activity that has delivered real results. Get inspired and get actionable ideas by hearing what they did and how they did it. Brought to you by me, Ben Rose, along with Gorilla Technology. Welcome to another episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. I'm your host, Ben Rose, and today we're speaking to Sheer and Brent Godfrey, who together co-founded and run amazing New Zealand nut butter brand, 40 Thieves. I reached out to these guys after tasting their ridiculously good nut butters and hope they decide to sponsor the show and thought it would be an interesting opportunity for a new kind of episode, talking to an entrepreneur who is right in the thick of building a new brand. So with all that said, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thanks for, Thanks having, for having us, having Ben. Us. <laughs> so, so first of all, amazing nut butters. Not sure if I mentioned that. Amazing. <laughs> well, we have some for you. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Okay, this is going to go well. Hey, look, totally seriously, I'm keen to, to understand um, why, why did you found this business? What, what led you to this point? So uh, Brent and I, we were both living and working in Sydney. Um, my background is graphic and digital design. Brent yep. um, was market research, um, yeah, it, specifically in FMCG. Um, so we kind of, yeah, we both felt a little bit burnt out. Um, mm. We decided to go traveling around the world. So we yep. did a, a really a, an eight-month trip, which was fantastic. We realized we were very compatible. Um, you know, yeah, we, we, if you can travel with someone and, and yeah, still yeah, yeah. stay together, you, you know, it means a lot. Totally. Um, so, yeah, we decided we wanted um, to do something new. Um, and we both, Brent has always been passionate you know, with his um, degree in business. Um, yeah, decided, uh, we both, yeah, wanted to try and start a new, something together. Um, and we, yeah, so we decided when, to come back to New Zealand and start a business. Um, mm -hmm. We had a whole bunch of different ideas. One of them was to start a creative agency. Uh, one was to start a hummus uh, cafe. Awesome. <laughs> um, all sorts of different things popped up. But um, one thing that resonated with us was the idea of creating healthy and nutritious food um, you know, that, that we could give, that people could have in their pantries, you know, across New Zealand. Um, so, yeah, what, what we loved about um, nut butters specifically was that they were, you know, it's it's something that's super delicious already. Nuts are, you know, really healthy, really delicious. You don't have to do anything to them. Mother Nature kind of has already done all the work mm. in those beautiful little nuts. Yeah. Um, and all we really had to do was crush them and jar them up and, and you know, with my design background, put a beautiful label on the front and we thought we'd be, you know, we'd, we were done. <laughs> so you make it sound super easy. So just crush the nuts and stick a nice label on it. Yes. Obviously not that easy. No. So, so tell me about, I suppose, when you realised what was going to be involved in making this a thing. Yes, yeah, so I think. <laughs> Um, first off, it wasn't as easy as Cher suggested. <laughs> um, if only. If, 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 yeah, so first of all, it was the procurement of all the correct machinery. So I think um, doing it sort of on a home scale, like, you know, in your blender is one thing and roasting on trays is another. But yeah. to try scale that is quite a lot more difficult. Uh, and did you set out to manufacture it yourselves from the very we beginning? We did. We did. We looked into contract manufacturing. Um, we dabbled, I we, guess. We did, we did trial the contract manufacturing with somebody, but we realized the quality wasn't to our standard. Okay. Uh, and then also when we started running the numbers, we thought like in terms of the, the long term, mm. um, contract manufacturing wouldn't work out, especially with supermarkets and margins. Yeah. Um, that additional price that you'd have to pay to the contract manufacturer wouldn't leave you very much uh, for you know, investing in things like marketing and branding and and other things. So uh, just just to interrupt you, so just for the uninitiated, what is, what sort of margins um, do do supermarkets look to take out of pricing? 
I guess this is a is, is a tricky one. Um, I, you know, for our category, it's anything from you know twenty seven to thirty two percent GP margin. Wow. Um, so that's the percentage of the sale price that the retailer would take. And that's the percentage of the sale price, yeah, that the yeah, okay. retailer will take, um, which is, and we take significantly less. Mm, um, mm. So the retailer does take um, quite a bit more margin, yeah, okay. but we do need those retail partners uh, to get our product to market. Totally. Um, so, that, so then manufacturing yourself makes a lot more sense than paying exactly. somebody else Exactly, yeah. So, I mean... I think, I think it, with it, FMCG, it is a numbers game. So mm. when, we, when we started, we thought... Um, we'd create a really premium product and sell through just premium retailers. But yep. because it's a small population in New Zealand, um, we, we established quite quickly that we had to work with the two main supermarkets, um, which mm-hmm. is uh, Woolworths and um, Foodstuffs. Yep. Um, Woolworths owns Countdown um, and yeah, food, Foodstuffs owns Pack and Save and New World okay. um, and Foursquare. And yeah, so we realised um, it was because it's, a, it's so, such a numbers game, you, you have to sell a lot um, and so you need to you know, every single cost involved in producing that jar of peanut butter or almond butter mm. has to be, you know, really considered the, the cost of the label, the cost of the lid, the cost of the glass, totally. how long it takes, you know, the labor associated. So, yeah. yeah. Right. Is that, and is that something you, you knew was going to be the case when you, when you first started? I think we found out quite early on because we did explore the contract manufacturing route quite early on yeah. and realized, hey, these numbers aren't going to work if we're mm-hmm. going to scale it. And yeah. At that time, we were going through uh, the boutique retailers. Um, and so we were actually picked up first by Faro, right. who have wow. been fantastic the whole time. Mm. Um, they first discovered us. Uh, we were just a small artisan brand um, and they decided to stock our product. Uh, they met us at awesome. uh, the, the food show. Um, oh, and wow. that's how we got our brand out to our first few retailers. Uh, and then back then it was Wise Cicada, who was another little um, sort of health organic store. And Huckleberry came along as oh, well. Yeah. That must have uh, felt pretty cool to be listed yeah. in those. And we thought, hey, we, we're winning here. Yeah. Uh, and we thought, so exciting. Th- th- this is, you know, we, we're making it happen. And then um, we realized, like, the, the volumes weren't quite big enough. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, if we look at uh, overseas to, like, Trader Joe's or mm-hmm. uh, the Whole Foods market, like, if you're in, in those channels, uh, yeah, in those premium channels, you probably could so make, you could probably make it uh, make it work. But just because they've got the population exactly. and yeah, the density. Exactly. Yeah, right. and so then we quickly realized, hey, we're actually going to have to get into foodstuffs next. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And that's when we started looking at machinery and procuring machinery from overseas. And I remember okay. we uh, bought the first mill and and uh, there were real tears. There were real tears. <laughs> I bet there were. Like with, yeah. the, with a marketer and a research guy buying, <laughs> yeah. like, nut making machinery, that's quite hard, oh, right? Oh. Well, we bought our first mill and um, we. Uh, it dripped we... out. The nut butter dripped out, literally. Oh, no. and we thought we, will, we were not going to make it to. We had our first, like, market or something. And yeah, we, we stayed up all night making oh, nut butter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was pretty stressful. Um, but yeah, you know, we, we learned a lot. Um, yeah. As someone who had never really had an operations hat on, yeah, uh, yeah, we yeah. quickly had to learn about equipment. And it's been a it's been a big learning curve. I, w- I would say for you, Brent, maybe tell me if I'm wrong. I think you love that side of things now. Um, you know, like always looking at our production process and working out which piece of machinery um, to purchase next. You, you know, you're the operations guy now, right? Yeah, I wear a few different hats. <laughs> so, which hats do you wear? Um, so I, I wear sales, but more the yep. management side of And that's, I guess, where, you know, my previous life, I can draw on those experiences. So analyzing the FMCG data that we get from IRI or Nielsen and yep. looking at the sales data and then having those conversations with our retail partners. Yes. Um, yeah, okay. And then also l- looking at what we can do more 
um, with our sales team uh, to drive sales. Um, so that, that helps that a lot. And then, um, yeah, I've got the operations hat. So looking after, I guess, you know, we've got our production supervisor, but then he reports up to me. And then we're constantly looking at efficiencies within the production line and yeah, looking at yeah, how, yeah. you know, as labor goes up, like what can we do to, you know, still keep our costs the same or, or reduce them. Um, and then, yeah, finance is the other, the other big hat. Quite important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about let's talk about marketing first of all. Let's talk about the brand. Um, how how did it come to be? How did you come up with it? What was the process you went through? Well, when we um, one of the first products we made was actually tahini. All right. Um, yeah, which is uh, for anyone who doesn't one hundred percent sesame seeds. Um, and so we we it's with my background. I was born in Israel. It's a staple in my family household, and we sort of thought. We'd, after our travels, we'd seen that you know not that you know, in other countries it was starting to kind of pick up. Yeah. Um, in the especially when we were in America, we noticed that more and more people were kind of interested in it. Okay. Um, and there was like a halva shop that we saw, which is oh wow, amazing. whole shop, yeah, amazing whole shop around it. Um, so we thought you know we're going to bring that to New Zealand. Mm. Um, and so we, when we were playing with the name, um, we kind of you know for, if you've heard of the story of Forty Thieves, um, Alibaba and the Forty Thieves. Yeah. Um, and so the, the story goes that. Um, Ali Baba goes into a, into the forest and he sees, you know, 40 thieves with a whole heap of jewels and treasure and they go into a cave. Um, but they, as they go in, they say, open sesame. They walk in, they say, close sesame. They, you know. So then Ali Baba goes in and he, that's how he kind of steals all the treasure. Um, but we, we decided to, to um, identify with the thieves in the story. Um, and the reason being is we kind of, we, you know, obviously we've got the open sesame kind of thing, um, that, that play on words, but also what, you know, to... For, make, for it to make sense also for the nuts and seeds. We loved the idea that, you know, what I was saying earlier, that nuts are just already packed with so much goodness. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That we, inside them, like inside each of our jar is, is uh, you know, all these beautiful jewels. So our, our tagline is actually naturally packed with hidden gems. Um, so we're kind of hiding nature's gems inside each jar. You know, you twist the, the jar open, open sesame, and you let out awesome. all the goodness, um, yeah, to kind of fuel your day and... and yeah, because nuts are full of bodies. like magnesium, iron, potassium, you know, everything that's healthy for you, all those earth yeah. elements, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. other, you know, and so the 40 thieves and, and the story were, hold, uh, were um, uh, hiding their gold and, yeah, and diamonds cool. and that. So, but this is all natural stuff that's good for the body. So how, so how do you take that thought and turn that into a consumer-facing brand that lives across, you know, every, every channel now? Yeah. <laughs> A good question. <laughs> yeah, we we kind of took the we took that story. We we took our products and um, the way when we started, we I think I think one thing having a design background that was that was really powerful as a small business was we we're able to kind of create semi-professional labels yeah. from, the, from get the get-go. Yeah. So we kind of differentiated ourselves from a sort of market artisan brand where they yeah, kind of handwrite right. stuff from mm -hmm. from day one. So that was. That was something um, using, you know, tapping into those skills. So yeah. that was something that I was really passionate about. We had really nice, beautiful flyers already with, you know, discount codes. And I built our website, um, also, you know, which was just a WordPress site. And it's actually, you know, it's still going strong. Um, we've we've got we've had developers since then to help us, you know, fix bits and bobs to make yeah, yep. it better. Yeah. But um, yeah, still still going strong. So, so you're sort of building credibility and and scale from the very beginning, I suppose. Yes. Yes. I think we were we were very design focused from day one, and so yeah. we always. Our market stands always looked fantastic. So people, people like kind of gravitated to our stand because yeah. they looked really good. And um, we, we had these jars, all, you know, all different colors, like, you know, peanut butters, that kind of orangey brown. We've got mm. the, the hazelnut and chocolate, which was a dark brown. We always had, you know, samples available. So people yeah, came yeah, yeah. and would have fresh bread out and everything. And everyone loved to come and, and try it. Um, 
but yeah, I think I think visually our brand has always been appealing, and that has helped us to kind of get in front of people. Um, and yeah. it represents us as well, and the, and it's what we do. It's like Forty Thieves is a quite a fun, exciting brand with yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. of a, a child play story to, behind it. And we've been able to bring that all in. And as she was saying, like, you know, at our first food show, when Farrah discovered us, the first thing was that the buyer, Suzanne Sparrow, said to us was like, I love your labels. I want this in my store. Oh, Uh, really? And so, you know, this was our first batch of products ever. We'd only just, (laughs) we've only just made it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Six weeks in, we were ready again, picked up by Farrah. And that was the labels. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's all about, like, you know, making sure you've got a, a, a good brand, uh, but also having that design behind it to make it, like, you know, lift it up. And So from a design point of view, the category is quite an interesting one, right? There are some strong brands, but there are some, you know, pretty kind of average brands that have been around for a long time. So how, how did that look to you guys going, you know, with a research hat on and, a, and a, being a creative? How, how did you think of that category? When we started, we, um, there was, it was predominantly peanut butter, um, and we wanted to come in and offer other nuts that weren't yeah. really being represented, like the almond, yeah, <laughs> almond yeah, culture. Yeah. So we came in um, pretty pretty early on with um, a jumbo size. That was the other thing that we noticed was that everyone was still doing quite small pots mm. of nut butter. So the two things that we brought into the category quite early on was um, other nuts, so almond butter, cashew butter, yeah. our salted macadamia, you know, that was completely new. And then um, scorched almond, yeah, like crunch. chocolate, cho- yeah, chocolate nut butters. You know, there was Nutella, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then there was you know a couple of like organic brands that were highly priced, and I had obviously been sitting on the shelf for a long time for yeah, lots of oil, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so we wanted to kind of come in and find something in in between. Okay. Um, so yeah, so the the different um, nuts, and then also like the big sizes for people that were eating it a lot, because that was one thing also that we noticed in our travels that um, you know almond butter was just as popular as peanut butter and you know mm. in other places but not in New Zealand yet right right um yeah but over time the other brands have also started to get into other nuts as well yeah it's a different it's so. a whole different landscape now it's a different landscape and so how do you keep ahead of it do you do you sort of look overseas to what the trends are and work out what's what's next for you guys yeah I think innovation is really important here yeah, and this is where you know you've got to constantly be working on new products and also looking outside the category for opportunities uh, so it's something that we're constantly reviewing and looking at when we're not fighting fires every day. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah uh, we did actually. We've actually just launched three new lines, um, and these are like what we're really exactly what you're talking about about being innovative. So they they're keto butters. Right. Um, and okay. the reason we we decided to go down this direction is we, I mean, nuts are most nuts are keto mm-hmm. are great on a keto diet as it is. But what we noticed were customers coming to us and saying, oh, you know, I'm on a keto diet and you know, thanks for, I, you know, I use your peanut butter to make this and I use your almond butter to make that. Yeah. And we thought, well, what if we can produce what you're trying to make already without mm, nut butters? So we, mm. we, and what we know is people, people on a keto diet are very interested in or, you know, craving is treats that yeah, they can't, because yeah. obviously, yeah, for anyone who doesn't know what a keto diet is, um, it's a very low sugar, very high fat diet. Low carb. Low, low carb, sorry, and low sugar, yeah. And so um, nuts are already predominantly high fat and, and low carb right. um, and but treats you know they always that's it's hard to get around that yeah, so yeah, we, yeah. we've we've just launched our um, a keto caramel butter a keto raspberry and nz macadamia butter wow. and then like an original eight seed as well which is a more savory wow. um, and yeah and i guess that, yeah that answers your innovation question like we yeah, we yeah, kind yeah. of about sorry about how we just just how we stay ahead we 
listen to our customers. We're always like customer centric. Um, and we also look around at what other categories are doing in the supermarket. And mm. we did notice a rise in, yeah. in keto products. Um, and so it kind of made sense to, you know, to, to be solving that problem for yeah, our customers yeah. in our field. I yeah. discovered you because I was on the keto diet. Oh, really? And the, and the chocolate one was, was like a treat. Oh, totally. that's amazing. So it's true. Oh, good. It's true. Well, we, well we, yeah. have, we, we have our caramel and our raspberry for amazing. you. Amazing. So caramel, hopefully. stop it. Yeah. <laughs> you love yeah, we it. did look at um, keto at a, uh, across other categories and yeah. we, we noticed that it was the growth driver in um, breakfast cereals. Mm. Uh, it was the growth driver in, in um, crackers as well. Oh, right. Um, and we thought, well, you know, nut butters is almost there. Like, why not? you know, brand and market a specific keto butter. Yes. Um, and so we have, you know, supercharged these keto butters as well with a little bit of MCT oil. Um, so so what's MCT oil for those so who don't know? So that's your <laughs> monochain triglyceride oil. So it's ex extracted from coconut oil. Right, um, right, right. And it helps um, to get you into ketosis a lot quicker. Um, so that and then so pretty much if people eat this it's actually good for them right <laughs> it's good the more the better <laughs> well that's the thing so 40 Thieves um, we've, we've got four values and one of the arching values is it has to be healthy and delicious and nutritious for your body um, so that's the other thing is that when we look to keto butters from overseas is that they are full of um, you know artificial flavours and yeah, yeah. sweeteners like erythritol. and so we had to come up with a keto butter that was completely natural and good for you, um, but also um, had uh, that advantage of getting into that ketosis state. So even if you're not on a keto diet, the keto butters are still fantastic for you because they're still natural and healthy. But if you are on a keto diet, they're also good for you because they've got the MCT oil and we also have the macadamias and almonds. So yeah, macadamias are full of monounsaturated fats again. So they I help, think you should, you should work in sales, you know. <laughs> you should definitely work in sales. I should be wearing the sales hat. <laughs> totally, totally. So let, actually, let's talk about your sales. So, so you mentioned earlier that you were at uh, Market Stalls. Yeah. So how do you go from being at market stalls to being listed in supermarkets? Talk me through, I suppose, the journey you went on and kind of what you learned. Yeah. Yeah, you were alluding to that earlier. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, so when we when we first, our, our very first customer-facing, you know, event was a was a, um, a craft and food market right. in Devonport, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, very soon after was the, the food show. So, um, and I think we always knew... This is what what's different about our brand from some artisan food brands is that we wanted to create a business that would su support our lifestyles that we wanted, yeah. um, as opposed to we had a really good product that we and everyone said, oh, you should market it. So we kind of knew where we wanted to head yes. from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, um, and so yeah, once we'd produced the products that we were happy with, you know, all the different experimenting and things like that, we yeah we started at the markets we, just to get feedback and um, yeah it was fantastic to see which products people liked yeah. and which products we thought would be successful that people didn't like. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the main things that we noticed was that, and I think it's a 101 sales and marketing is it has to solve a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the ones that we thought were like good, but they were like too unique. They didn't solve anyone's problem. Everyone would be like, oh, yum, I'll take that one. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. and so Interesting. Um, they, we, yes, we, we kind of, it was, um, yeah, starting at the markets was great because you're straight in front of your customers from yeah, the get-go, you know, absolutely. exactly what's working, what isn't. Mm. Um, and then once, as Brent mentioned before, at the food show, we got picked up by Pharaoh. Yeah. We realized very quickly that we had to change some of our processes. Like I remember packing the first Pharaoh order. It was the biggest order we'd had yet. Wow. And it was, I mean, now it's tiny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we didn't have 
cartons even for our jars. So we were just getting random boxes and shoving random things yeah. in and they were all floating and everything was hand wrapped. And, you know, so I think that was, was fantastic that we kind of got into just a couple of stores so that we could quickly improve yes. our, our processes. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, once we, we got a taste for farro and, you know, we were like, well, what's next? Mm -hmm. So we started mm -hmm. scouting all the different kind of organic stores. Um, and, and the two of you did that, did you? The two yeah. of us, just Brent yeah, and yeah. I. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah, we did all of the sales for the first two years. <laughs> yeah. We work in seven days a week. Um, Monday to Friday, we're either out selling or making the product. And then uh, on the weekends, we're doing about four markets wow. just to get the brand out there to different parts of Auckland yeah. um, and around the region and getting that, that the brand out there and getting yeah. people trying it and tasting it. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, yeah, I guess there was two parts to the sales. So there's, you know, B2C, um, mm -hmm. getting it into customers' hands. And then there was the B2B, getting into retailers. And then yeah. you think it stops there, but you know, it doesn't move from the retailer unless you have a, a bit of strategy how they're going to move of it off course. their shelves yeah, as yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which we didn't know. We kind of thought once it's in the – initially, once, you know, it's in their hands, yeah. um, like we've done our bit. But, so, how, um, so how does that work? So you've done – you've delivered to, to Faro, for example. Yes. What, what then? We then started um, – we supported them with tastings. Um, so we'd go in once – yeah, we, after we'd done our market stint for – 12 months, um, we started, we swapped our weekends to doing food tastings, uh, store tastings. Still the two of you? Yeah, yeah, for a long time we would do, yeah, so from four markets a weekend, it became eight tastings a weekend wow. between the two of us. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we'd go, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, just to jump in. So we got into, yeah, as we said, the Faro and a few organic stores, but then we, we wanted we wanted foodstuffs. Yeah. Um, and the first foodstuff store we got was New World Albany. Mm. Um, and, you know, it all take, what it takes is like a buyer who believes in you really. Yeah. Um, to so, get, so each store has their own buyer, do they? Every store yeah. in foodstuffs um, has a buyer and you have to sell it individually into each store, which sounds wow. crazy. But yeah. when you're a new business, it's not the end of the world because you grow at the right, you grow slowly, you yes. know, your production, you can kind of grow them at the same time. When we got into Countdown, we got, we were put into 187 new stores overnight. Oh my God. So we had to double production, you know, overnight. Wow. Um, so wow. yeah, they're kind of pros and cons to the two, yeah, the yeah, two yeah. different business models. Um, so, so okay, so so at what point did it stop being uh, the two of you, and what at what point did you start having to take people on to kind of scale? Yeah, well, we did. Well, it was um, in our first year that we started hiring our first person, which was in production. In production. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Start making. So you guys product. held on to the the sales and marketing side of things, and you got help with production. We yeah. we, we held on to production for a lot longer than yeah for a long should've. time, which is great. Um, I mean, look, at least we know the ins and outs of of our product. We know. Yeah. I think it's important as owners to have done every part of the business as well. Mm. So you also appreciate the hard work that your staff. Yeah, totally. Doing. Totally. Um, but yeah, I would say yeah we the first help we got was. Um, yeah, it was production staff. Um, and then after we'd sold our way into about 20 New World stores, that's when we decided to reach out to um, like a, a professional sales agency. So what what is a professional sales agency? How does that work? Yeah, so I guess, you know, it gets to a point like Cher and I, we're politely hustling our way with every single buyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, please take our product. It tastes amazing. They tried it. They loved it. And um, they thought, hey, we'll give you guys a go. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember speaking to, um, it was Richard Seth back then at New World Albany, and he uh, managed to get us our first article codes. Um, so that once you've got article numbers, it lets you get your um, products into other New Worlds as well. Okay. Uh, okay. So you can start to have that. So. The, very, the hardest part is getting those article numbers. Once you've right. got those article numbers, you can go out to other buyers from other new worlds and have that conversation. About so that's, that's their ordering system, is it? Yeah, yes. so they've got an SAP system that right. they use. Um, and so, yeah, we then got into about 20 stores together, Sharon and I, you know, picking off different new worlds and yep. 
selling our product in and then yeah we realized hey this is taking up way too much of our time mm. um surely there's a better way of doing this so we looked uh, internally first at hiring a, a, a sales rep yeah um you know by the time you've paid them a salary car etc you're looking at over, at least over 100 grand mm-hmm. um but then, yeah, we realize that there are these solutions that are out there, sales agencies that um, take a base and commission. Um, and pretty much overnight, you can have a whole team behind you. Um, and so at the moment, we've got um, about 10 sales reps. Oh, um, wow. And then they're supported by a whole team of merchandisers. So do they, they represent multiple products, do they? They represent eight, eight brands. Okay, uh, we're okay. one of the eight brands. So it's a syndicate. Not too many. No. No, okay. I think that's important as well. Um, you want the, your sales agency to be invested in your brand and mm. um, to feel part of your business. Um, and so it's a very important relationship that yeah. that needs to develop because yeah, they they oh, are they your, become the they face. Are, they become the face of your brand yeah. to your retailers. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so are they? Um, are those other products um, aligned to yours? Are they similar in kind of target audience? Uh, there's generally no conflict of interest. Um, so like there will be a muesli brand and a, cra- a cracker brand. Yeah, but okay. No, no, no one else doing nut butters. But they're not doing pharmaceuticals or no, you know, whatever. Yeah, okay, okay, definitely. I would say um, similar. Yeah, similar values across the brands. Yeah, and they all but focus it, yeah. on that FMCG channel as right, well. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. And what have you found um, works in terms of how you incentivize them and how you structure that that relationship commercially? Um, so there is the base, and then there is the the commission. Yeah. Um, so you know, the more they they push through that sales channel, the yeah. more commission they earn, so the better it is for them. So it is in their own interest to, to do well and make sure yeah, that okay. the brand performs. Um, there's also, I guess, little levers that we, like you know, we've got budget that we um, help um, with their selling as well. So it's um, displays as a, as a um, going into like pack and saving, you know, as soon as you walk into the front of the store, you see an, what they call an aisle of value. Yes, um, yes. And so that display, you know, costs money. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. And if you can support your sales agency, which we do, we um, offer them budget to do these types of displays, and that that gets you in front of the customer and gets yep. your brand awareness in. So it's already, you know, it's the first thing they see when they walk through the door. They mm. see forty thieves, so they might yeah, not yeah. grab the jar off the display straight away. But hey, it's already like it's on top of mind awareness already. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they might see it again later down in the aisle, and like, oh, you know, I might try this brand. Give it a go. Your and your your product because. You know, it's relatively new compared to the category, but tastes really good. I suppose trialing, getting it into people's hands is quite important, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest challenge that we still have to date is that even though we've been around for five years, um, that we'll still ask people that come to us at food shows, have you heard about 40 Thieves before? And they say, no, this is the first time we've heard about it, the first time we're trying it. So brand awareness is still one of our biggest, yeah, opportunities that we need to push. I suppose it's always going to be a challenge, right? When you're up against the big guys, you know, with big big marketing budgets, you're just yeah. going to have to find different ways to, to get to people. Yeah, and I think that's where Share's done a, such a fantastic job. Like the early, early days, Instagram and Facebook were really good. Um, you don't have to put too much budget um, on social media um, to really get your brand out there. It yeah. is a lot harder now, I believe, with all the different algorithms and that. Now you have to pay quite a bit to get your brand out there. But yeah. You also, you also work your email list quite hard, don't you? Yes, yes. I think um, that's what um, one of our – so we kind of – we now have our customers in stores, but we actually have 
a lot of customers that buy directly, yeah, especially right. um, we've seen a huge rise since um, COVID, since mm. you know lock, the first lockdown, yep. um, because people don't want to go to stores um, or they can't. And um, yeah, we see, we've, we we offered free shipping initially, which was a great, we, we actually just did it because we wanted, it was from the good of our hearts, to be honest, but it became, we realized very quickly that it took a, a barrier away and people yeah. were just suddenly willing you know, a lot of people just were like, okay, well, if it's free for shipping, I can try just one butter. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and people, we've seen so many repeat customers um, from then. Um, yeah, so so we find the newsletter, um, when they do buy products, they can subscribe um, mm. to get, a, you know, a small discount. And um, I think a lot of people are just interested to see what's coming next yeah. as well. So we, we try and keep it interesting by having, you know, little, you know, different kind of um, NPD, like, you know, d- new products um, launching throughout the year, even if yep. it's just a different jar size or um you know limited edition product or at the moment we've got um some peanut butter filled chocolate easter eggs um yeah they're amazing they're handmade um by a chocolatier in matacana they're called honest chocolate um or sorry honest chocolate i should say (laughs) um yeah and um you know so things like that just keep like people we did it we've done it um for a few years now and every easter you know leading up to it we have people asking about it but it's just it's a great way kind of just to give something back to our customers um, that's kind of unique and interesting and nobody else is doing. Um, do yeah, you, do you look at it as a, as a sales channel or an engagement channel or a bit of both? A bit of both, definitely a bit of both. Um, so as we were talking about margins before with the retailers, we don't mm. have that with online. Yep. So, But then on the other hand, there's other costs like packing individual orders rather than packing a pallet. Um, right. So yeah, um, on one hand, yeah, we, it's actually something that we would love to continue to grow because we we see we see potential in it. Um, and I think, you know, when people do order online, they actually end up buying because they've made the effort to go in. They actually end up buying a range of products. Whereas in the supermarket, um, you know, you've got a different hat on. You've got your I need to keep my trolley under three hundred yeah, yeah, bucks, yeah, totally. whatever, maybe four hundred now. Um, yeah. But you know, so they might only grab this one or that one. But it, you know, when they've gone online, they'll be like, oh well, I'm ordering, so I'll just buy four or five. So you kind of get those bigger orders as well um but then yeah then on the other hand it also gives us the opportunity to tell people about the initiatives we're doing you know we'd recently <coughs> became carbon um so we offset all our carbon um so you know it's an opportunity to tell people about, about that um, we support forest and bird with um their trapping so yeah it just kind of gives us that that channel to to talk to our customers so it sounds like you know the numbers very well so i'm interested to understand how that works how do you analyze that stuff where do you get that information from so with uh, i guess brent's background being in um in market research he's mm. he loves that stuff so he's always um analyzing yeah you know we'll, we'll purchase some data if, yep. even if it's just top line data um and we can see like when we do like in in supermarkets we we have like a promotional plan yep. um, which means that our um, you know, our product's on promo for a couple of weeks and then off and then on. Um, and then when you look at the data for the sales from that time, you can see an uplift. And, okay, um, okay. you know, the idea is that you see an uplift, but then the drop when it's not on sale is, you know, it's not as low as it was before that yeah, uplift, yeah, yeah. you know, gotcha, so it's, gotcha, gotcha. it's kind of going up. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, yeah, we, we I guess we, we try and make sure that we're always analyzing like whether our sales are growing. Um, and this is something that we do with our sales reps as well is mm. we, you know, we, well, Brent especially, he loves to analyze all of the numbers and then present it back to them and say, like, here's an opportunity in this store. Like, why do you think we've gone down here in this region and why do you think we've gone up in that region and just to kind of keep on top of it. Yeah, okay, so that's kind okay. of the supermarket side. And then um, for the – in our um, our own website, um, we're able to look at Google Analytics and, and yep. um, we're always particularly interested about where 
people are coming from, how do they get to our website? Um, and so we actually, you know, it's a, uh, last week we had an interesting uplift where we, our sales sort of, we sold like, I don't know, 10 times what we normally sell in a day. And we thought, what the heck, what, you know, why did this happen? Yeah, yeah. And so we kind of, we'd done like an article in Dish magazine that day. I right. said, is it that? It, yeah, it, it yeah, wasn't yeah, that. Yeah. And we said, oh, we've done a, we did a newsletter. Has it come from that? And we said, you know, we've had a look. It wasn't hundred percent from that. Some of it came from that. Yeah, yeah, and what yeah. had happened was one of our customers had posted about these new keto products in the Keto New Zealand oh, amazing, page, amazing. which has a hundred thousand followers. Wow. Um, and we didn't know she didn't tag us because I think there's a rule that you're not actually supposed to tag brands. Okay. But I'm on that page and I was scrolling. I thought, I wonder if there's something in there. And I found mm. this post and it had like hundred um, comments on there saying like, oh, I love oh, 40 Thieves. I want to try it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that was like a great opportunity to see like a channel where, you know, because, and, it, and the reason it, it comes back down to um, solving a problem, like all these yes. people are looking, actively looking for, th- you know, for products that they can eat, that they, that are within their diet um, and that are still, that still tastes good and that are healthy and natural. Um, and, you know, someone presented it to them and, and they awesome. all filtered towards our, our site. But when, um, when, you, when you started off, when you were a graphic designer, did you used to be in, as into the numbers as you are now? No, I, no. In so fact, what changed? Well, I, you, you want to pay yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's actually, it's a funny one because I remember I was working in-house for a company, like a startup, and, um, and I was sort of on the, I was on the innovation team. Um, and, you know, the sales team would always approach me and, you know, it was a bit of a joke, but they'd be like, oh, we've got this. Can you, can you spruce it up for me? Yeah, um, yeah, and I'd yeah. be like, oh, sales, you know, like I'm doing the real job here, making this epic product and they're always, yeah, yeah, yeah. and now I, I look back at it and think there's nothing without sales, you know? And that's, I saw one of the questions you asked on the list was like, what's a myth about marketing and sales? One yeah. of the top myths. And that's, I think that a product sells itself if it's good. Yes. Nothing. It's definitely a myth. Um, and so now I always think, yeah, I think back to that time that, you, you know, you have to, like, if, if, there's, if the sales team aren't doing a good job, it doesn't mm. matter how good your product is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that's why the numbers are so important um, because if you, if you don't know what's selling your product, where the people are coming from, who's in, like, which ones are actually working, which ones aren't, then, you know, you're pushing a, a dead horse up a, up a hill, really. So were you, were you quite scared about outsourcing that to someone else? The design? The sales. Oh, the sales. Yeah. Um, I think the way that we've set it up, I think the, the way that we've set it up, um, we're still heavily involved. Um, yes, okay. So every month, you know, Brent will create like a like a sales report. Um, so you, I don't think, I don't know if we've let it go. Mm, okay, <laughs> but I think okay. we've let it go. Yeah, you're still very heavily focused on the numbers. Um, hey, about um, each each month, um, you know, what's which regions are doing well. So like, you yeah. know, our sales team, they they help. They, they're the relationship builders. They're, you know, face-to-face with our retailers. They're yeah. making sure that the products are actually on shelf, that the tickets are actually up, that the promo is actually being, you know, is actually happening. Um, if there's displays, that, you know, that they're actually getting built, um, all of those kind of things. Um, they're also helping us constantly improve our place on shelf. So say we're on the bottom shelf, you know, can we get these products up a shelf mm. because we've done this? Or, mm. you know, can you reduce this selling product, this bad selling product? line over here and replace it with this or can we have so they're always trying to kind of um improve our position on shelf as well so yeah i would say that they're kind of doing the the day the day-to-day but we're still very heavily involved in in the the overall strategy um because because one of the things i'd like to understand i suppose is is what you outsource and what you do in-house so so this seems like a really key relationship but it sounds a bit like a hybrid of outsourced and in-house um, you're holding them accountable in the same way that you would individual team members, right? 
Yeah, in a way. Um, they, they do have a job to do um, and they need to perform as well. And um, so if they're not, you know, if they're not performing, mm. then we need to look elsewhere. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's, I guess, how the sales agency model works. Um, but you do, you, you want to try, make sure that you've explored all avenues. And it's also as a business owner, it's really important to be close to the top line sales number because that drives everything for your business from mm -hmm. the top down. Um, and so if sales have dropped, it's good to know why, why have they dropped. And so that by looking at the data and looking at like different regions, different channels, diving in, like I think as an owner, we want to know exactly like what's happening within our business. And yeah. it's worth mentioning that we have in the past, like if you do sort of let that drop a little bit, sometimes, um, you know, you can miss things, miss opportunities or um, you kind of, you have to know what your retailer is expecting from you as well so that because there's always the the looming deletion that's that's the biggest right, 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 right. biggest fear as yeah. an fmcg company especially i mean i say especially a small one but big brands get their you know whole lines deleted too mm, yeah. mm. no i agree yeah, yeah like i mean we've seen seen what's happened with some of the bigger brands already um, just right. in the last 12 months yeah. yeah yeah and so so do you um through your sales agents manage those relationships with the buyers or do you do that more directly um, so the sales agency manages the relationship directly okay. with the individual uh, with the, buyers. With the store buyers. Right, store right, buyers. Right. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, so the head of the sales agency and myself will have the conversation with the category manager at Foodstuffs or at Countdown. Yeah. Um, so we ha we hold we kind of have those higher level conversations. Okay. Um, at the head office level, but then I guess at the store level, the sales a uh, agents they go out and. Yeah, hold okay, those relationships okay. directly yeah with and they're buyers. doing it every day so like they also you know they're experts in that field mm, um mm. you know they're experts they know exactly what how the buyers work um, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what they're looking for they you know they know the numbers like you know the margins and the like the discounts and everything that they need and want so yeah. they do a better job than than us on that on that level for sure yeah. so who, who what roles do you have in-house and why are they in-house so we've got Production, mm -hmm. so we've got production supervisor in the team, yeah. and we do that. Um, one is quality of product, we can control it. Um, and then two is what we discussed, um, cost efficiencies as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and then we've got marketing and design. So um, we, um, I've just come back from maternity leave, so while I was, I wasn't really away. <laughs> when it's your own business, you're not really away, but <laughs> we, um, we, we employed a, um, like a marketing designer yeah. um, and so she kind of I still helped with the strategy around the campaigns but she implemented them um, yeah, okay. so we've kept her on board because she's fantastic and awesome. it means that we I can focus more on top level kind of strategy mm. uh, you know and, and, and NPD that's a huge one for us for, yes. for 2022 yep. um, yeah and then and so that's someone that we've got in-house which um, yeah I don't think a lot of brands would think that having a, a designer oh. in-house you know working full-time is imperative but there's just so so many touch points um you know with different advertising that we might take on um with our social media keeping that up to date um our, our newsletters so yeah there's the digital side but there's also some print work you know we do flyers and things um okay, okay. yeah our, even just um product design product, yeah. so when we do a new label mm. we need label changes because like the um the the rules the laws have changed around what right, you have right. to you know all of those kind of things you need a designer to do yeah of course um yeah even our cartons you know we designed a new a new jar size our product comes in a new jar size so we needed a new carton design um so this it, it's actually we have so much so much work that, um for her to do which could mount up pretty quickly if you went externally Ex exactly exactly 
Um, yeah. And then, yeah, and then we've got Dana. You can. What does yeah. Dana do? <laughs> yeah, so Dana's what, what we call What doesn't Dana our, do? <laughs> <laughs> we call her our office whiz. Um, so she looks after all the bill entries, customer service, and she looks after all the outward goods as well. Mm-hmm. So she also wears a, f- a few different hats internally yeah, as well. Yeah, wow. Go Dana. So everyone yeah. needs a Dana. Yeah. Everyone needs a Dana. <laughs> yeah. Look, last last question. Um, actually, second last question. So you've spoken a bit about, um, you know, being a small brand, um, kind of coming up against bigger brands. What what if you were overnight an enormous company? What would you do differently as a business? I think we probably wouldn't have tried to grow organically as as slowly as we did. Mm. I think we would probably would have looked at bringing investment on earlier on. Mm. So everything that we've Everything we've done at 40 Thieves is still self-invested. Yep. Um, but I think we could have gone from A to B in that five-year period a lot quicker. Mm. Um, had we done that, you know, hindsight's one of those wonderful things, I think we would have um, got to the market a bit quicker as well. Um, so while we were first to market with, you know, a lot of our products like Scorched Almond or Hazelnut Crunch, the other nut butters that we're mm-hmm. talking about, um, we didn't have the relationships with the retail partners at that stage. Yeah, okay. Um, but had we been a, like 18 months quicker to the market, mm-hmm. we would have been able to scale up a lot quicker. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the business would have been in a very different position, I think. Where it is I, I guess I guess um, if, if I'm understanding your question, it's like say we got a massive budget all of a sudden, how would we spend it? Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, advertising and marketing. Um, so we've, you know, some campaigns to, to grow our databases, you know, further. Um, we've got 10,000 followers, oh, yeah, about 10,000 followers on, on Instagram, yeah. yeah. And um, we've got about 10,000 um, subscribers. How do we grow that so you can, you know, uh, give the good stuff to, to more people, you know, straight yeah, into yeah, the yeah. inbox. Um, you know, even just traditional methods like TV and radio, like, um, yeah, there's so many different channels that you could advertise that. But I think it's just like making, if we had a, a big budget, it would be like, it's that brand awareness that that is the, the driver. So it's you know, not it's about the product. The, the product, product's good to go. It's a just more about fa- growing oh, yeah, awareness. Definitely. I think our product is, is fantastic. Um, it's the quality is really high. People love it. We, we get, you know, amazing reviews and all that. We don't, mm. I, yeah, I think it's just, it's brand awareness. That's our, um, the, I think the biggest opportunity we have. And would you, um, would you go overseas, follow, uh, you know, fix and fog into Whole Foods? Yeah. I mean, we have been in our second year, we started sending our first shipment to America already. We sent it to Texas. Um, and every year we still work with this uh, distributor um, and, and, Texas, and we still send a pallet or two to mm-hmm. them. Uh, there is a limit, unfortunately, um, with how much nut butter you're allowed to import before Americans have to pay import duties oh, on, really? our, on our product. Yeah, right. Um, and we haven't really taken Just why it they from. might have set up their own factory. Yeah, there. okay, okay. Um, so I think, yeah, once you go more than like a pallet or two, then yeah. you start getting pinged pretty badly. Okay. Um, but Asia, Asia is where we're, we're heading. Um, yeah, yeah, so we've got a couple of markets, um, overseas markets already. Um, we've... We're in Singapore um, and Taiwan. Wow. Um, we've done a small shipment into China. Um, yeah, and a small one into Hong Kong. Yeah. But, so um, but Taiwan, Taiwan and Taiwan is probably our biggest export market at the moment now. Based on what? Um, I guess just relationships. We um, met someone who came up to us at the food show and said, awesome. I've got this local business. I've, yeah. got, I've got partners in Taiwan. Um, I think your product would be a good fit. Would you be interested in working with us? Amazing. And we said yes. Fantastic. <laughs> 
Um, last question, guys. So, so if you could give our listeners a single piece of advice, a piece of advice that they could wake up in the morning and action tomorrow, what would that piece of advice be? Um, I guess for me, um, and that's something that I'm constantly trying to do, is um, we're like remember to be customer centric. Um, so really think about the person that you're trying to get this product to. It's easy to be product focused and perfect your product and make it amazing and everything you want it to be. But you actually have to think about your customer. Um, who is it that's wants to buy it, um, where are they going to buy it from, why will they buy it, how long will it last them, what will they do with it. And if you think customer focused, then, you know, you can channel all your marketing efforts around, you know, not one, but maybe you've got a few personas, a few different kind of people that you've you've established, love, you know, love and need your products, mm. figure out, you know, where they are, what they're doing, um, and just build, build your story, you know, around them as long as it's authentic. Um, you know, always be like, yeah, be authentic and, and follow your values, but do it so that your customer is is in the center. Awesome. Yeah, mine probably won't be as aligned to sales and marketing as much. <laughs> What's yours? Um, I think, yeah, don't try be, um, don't try um, wear every single hat. Like try hand off things that you can. Um, like I, I think one of the things as small business owners, the biggest challenge is like being able to hand off um, at the right time, mm. um, those different hats. So knowing when to let go of them and feel comfortable about giving them away. Those hats, like you don't, yeah, as a business, the business needs um, needs you to grow, and and you can't, like, as you get busier, you can't keep that small-minded control yes. over the business. Like you have to let go eventually. I think, yeah, going. You know, we we had um, we had Natalia, our firstborn, um, who's just turned three today, and um, we've got our twins um, who turned one two weeks ago. Um, but I think one thing. When, when Natalia was born, I had to go on maternity leave and I was still packing orders. And mm. so because I had to leave, we got a packer in and that was amazing. And then, you know, I obviously never came back to that job because I needed to be focused on other things. Um, the second time round, I, I was, you know, f- very heavily doing the physical design, not so like the strategy, but also the design mm. where I had to, you know, again, going on mat leave, we had to hand that off and we kept her as well. And now I'm able to focus on other things. Yeah. So I've yeah. almost been blessed with this um, ability to hand off because I have to. Yep. whereas Brent hasn't had that <laughs> same same opportunity I mean, I was yet, very heavily involved with the actual production that we've true. handed off to someone who is, um, was that's ex-chef of Mojo Cafe. Oh, wow. Um, and oh. he does a fantastic job. And, and he helps us with, with the NPD as well. He helped develop right. our products. So. Yeah, and then even, you know, we're talking about Dana. Like she, over time, she's taken on more and more what I was doing. Yeah, um, great. And now we've got to that point where we actually need to bring more people in the business to hand those hats off to and, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Guys, thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah. It's been it's been a really interesting conversation. It sounds it sounds like you've you know you've learned a hell of a lot, but there's so much more to come. Oh, so much more. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Guys, thanks for your time. Really appreciate uh, thanks, it. Ben. Thank you, Cheers. Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NZ Sales and Marketing Insider. If you liked it, you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app for fortnightly episodes. For other great New Zealand podcasts, head over to podcasts.nz. Thanks to our friends at 40 Thieves Nut Butters, listeners to the podcast can get a 20% discount when purchasing online. Just go to 40thieves.co.nz and use the promo code INSIDER20. See you next time.